but AI itself will pose its own problems. Could Hemingway write a better short story? Maybe. But Bard can write a million before Hemingway could finish one. Imagine that level of automation across the economy. A lot of people can be replaced by this technology. Yes, there are some job occupations that will start to decline over time. There are also new job categories that will grow over time. But the biggest change will be the jobs that will be changed. Something like more than two-thirds will have their definitions change. Not go away, but change. Because they're now being assisted by AI and by automation. So this is a profound change, which has implications for skills. How do we assist people build new skills, learn to work alongside machines, and how do these complement what people do today? This is going to impact every product across every company. And, and so that's why I think it's a, a very, very profound technology. And so we are just in early days. Every product in every company. That's right. AI will impact everything. So for example, you could be a radiologist. You know, if, I, if, I, if you think about five to 10 years from now, you're gonna have an AI collaborator with you. It may triage, you come in the morning, you, let's say you have 100 things to go through. It may say, these are the most serious cases you need to look at first. Or when you're looking at something, it may pop up and say, you may have missed something important. Why wouldn't we, you know, why wouldn't we take advantage of a super-powered assistant to help you across everything you do? You may be a student trying to learn math or history, and, you know, you will have something helping you. Welcome to What's Left, a weekly political discussion challenging the mainstream left. I'm Eduardo Barca, the co-host, teacher in socialist and the and writing teacher Jessica. We are online at What's Left Podcast.com. You can find that link to our site in the episode notes, wherever you found this episode. You can also find our personal social media handles as at Don Eduardo Barca on Instagram and just his Twitter handle as at jhomie89. Uh, please subscribe, rate, review. Turn on your notifications and share your favorite episode wherever you found this episode. Thank you. Right. Um, so today's topic is going to be one of many. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm foretelling right now that we will be having a series of AI conversations. This is, I think, one of many because we've always touched on it with the fourth industrial revolution. We've discussed it when it comes to uh, sex tech. There was an episode that became very popular, but uh, we not have it like started one full episode dedicated to AI. And I think this is the beginning of many episodes that we will be doing on AI. Yeah. From the beginning of COVID and really when we first met Allison, the AI and data collection has been in the background to uh, everything we've discussed. In fact, the first the first time I read something cogent about what was going on with COVID was by Whitney Webb back in April. I read it back in April of 2020, and she was cr quite clearly laid out the fact that COVID was a was a government operation largely put forward by the CIA because it found itself behind in in not in the development of AI, in terms of developing the technology for AI, 
but in the data collection that you needed to do to feed your AI and develop your AI. And she saw that as a big feature of of the scam scandemic. So it's mm. been here. I mean, it's been here longer than COVID, but it's, since we started talking about COVID, AI has been in the background as hovering around us. So we've been talking about AI a lot, AI a lot actually, but mostly we've been talking about data collection, which really is not about advertising. It is about training and feeding an AI. That's what's going on. Right. Uh, there is though significant breakthroughs um, that are of note that I will be sharing. I hope everyone, both of you as well, will be able to share that 2022 have definitely skyrocketed. And now this year, uh, in 2023, there are discussions of responsible design development and uh, ways to transform the power of this AI technology for our society and the ethics and such. Um, but I think this is, I, I feel, maybe you both might disagree, but this is a turning point in in the unleashing of artificial intelligence to the public, the beginning of many. And uh, as we have noted before, most technology is used uh, and developed by the military. Most things are. And uh, like the internet was before, and so was GPS and drones. And all of that have been used firsthand by uh, the military. This, this is where the lab, the center of all of this is, even NASA. It's like all of that is for satellites and everything isn't so much for exploration of the stars and the moons, which I'm sure many scientists are, uh, that's the, their focus or desire. But before that, there is an interest in uh, overtaking and monopolizing and, and being able to get their first kind of uh, point, uh, the way of thinking of this this these technological and scientific developments. So, um, so as so, I think this is this is just like twenty twenty was pivotal in the way that uh, we were going to be more in virtual spaces. This is now pivotal in the sense that I think this is now the acceleration and the release of certain models like ChatGPT and other things that I think we'll discuss further. Uh, into the public, the society that we're now having lively discussions on, on the ethics and such, like I said. Any. Any. Yeah, and I think like, I agree with especially that last part that I, I wouldn't necessarily even put it as like we're having breakthroughs in the tech in 2022. I think it's more just that at this point, the public has been primed and now they're able to roll out this stuff, which has been ready for who knows how long, but they always, they always, you know, they, they develop what they want to develop and then they create the market. Like they manufacture the demand. And that's what I see as happening right now. Um, Cause there's a lot of, a lot of people really excited about Bard and chat GPT and. Right. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Anyhow, uh, I guess you, uh, so I sent you both, I guess we'll start this way. Um, I sent you both something that popped up on my recommendations list, um, which will launch this discussion. 
And that was an interview that was done by a very mainstream uh, media source, which is 60 Minutes. They did this in whole interview and which got me to say, you know, at that time, which just you were you were having a lovely vacation, being with friends and being in community. <laughs> and i envy that <laughs> whereas we were last year we were reflecting which is a good episode people should check that out but, i listened um, to it it was good oh <laughs> and uh so there so this this um this interview um uh showed up on my feed and there were uh there was a discussion with the ceo of of google and it was regarding uh, Bard and and the the ChatGPT and even actual physical robots, combative robots, and I and I was struck by a few things from that episode that people can check out for themselves. It's a very popular uh, video, uh, which then led us into other rabbit holes and. I was struck by, I think, two things that came up for me, and that was the the consciously knowing that there were uncertainties around this AI, knowing that and still being able and still releasing it out to the public and developing it further, and 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 also the the desire for to advance or to help humanity in areas such as language or or um, people's self development and 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 to also uh, and something we've discussed before too, it, it, the interaction between AI and humans which can help people. Um, which in in tech sec we've discussed how people who don't have uh, people. Uh, a, a partner or relationship, they can have this virtual partner. And uh, and then I was listening to another podcast where people who are depressed are starting to interact with AI. And so there's this 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 idea that it's to help or support us, and without really understand or with without really caring, it seems like more to me. They pose it as like without needing to stop this development because they don't want to get in the way of it. They don't want to hinder this development, which really I think is a competition and they don't really care. Uh, uncaringly uh, releasing more or developing further this technology for us. Uh, and then the other thing I was also struck by was this black box phenomenon, which is how these algorithms are given. There's lots of inputs and operations that are visible to the user or another interested party. And um, a, a, and AI models can arrive at conclusions or decisions without providing any explanations as to how they are, were reached. For example, if you gave it some a bit of in that interview, it was saying how if you gave a bit of of um, a language, I think it was I don't remember from what country, but they were giving some of just a a, a bit of a, a um, language uh, input, and then suddenly the AI was able to figure out how to create. A, a, uh, uh, full sentences or paragraphs using just basic, simple parts of uh, the language that was inputted, and so these are things that are being just made on its own. Where um, uh, you would think that 
this would almost be sort of like a mimic mimicking thinking. So there is these two things, well, not two things, but these these things I'm mentioning that are that are kind of concerning for me. I I'm 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 I, and, and then the one emotional aspect or the most saddened part that really got to me, which I'm still resisting inside internally, was this fact that that AI could replace or just just question knowledge, I think I said knowledge workers or cultural workers, which are all the poets and writers and interpreters. Basically everything that I, <laughs> I aspire or am, <laughs> you know, because I interpret for a living. Uh, and and they didn't say this, but we have discussed, we have discussed in a previous episode just how even can replace teachers. Uh, they didn't mention that, but I thought about teachers being replaced. I thought about how we are going to replace just the human interaction and things that we've already discussed. So these are the things that are concerning for me. Uh, and there's this competition between this uh, uh, well, I'll stop there. Go ahead. I don't know if what what anything from that from that and maybe that's that's what struck for me. Anything that for you two got or something that has stood out for you from that uh, that source. I guess there's a couple turns I could pick up. I mean, the teachers one is the most like real, real life for me. I mean, not just because I'm a teacher, but just because I'm witnessing like mostly with chat GPT, a lot of discussions around it and like critiques, but then critiques followed by, you know, arguments that like, we have to be wary of X, Y, and Z, but it's just a tool. And like, if we use it ethically or if we use it responsibly or if we use it like intentionally, then it could be a great tool. Um, and I, I guess I just see like in teaching, but also just more broadly, I feel like I'm just witnessing the, just like the parameters of discussion and debate being solidified, like before my eyes. Um, you know, like even in the video that you sent in the 60 Minutes thing, Eduardo, like one of the like ethical questions like that was raised is, you know, is it like, are we moving too fast with this? You know, and that like that seems to be one of the central debates of like, is it too much too fast to like start adopting this and start having, I don't know, chat GPT write your press releases if you're a businessman or have your students use it for brainstorming or whatever. Um, and I just, I don't know, I'm going to be the the Luddite, I guess, on this episode, or maybe we all will be where I'm like, I, it's not too much too fast. I just, I don't think we should be using it at all. I don't support it at all. Like it's, I don't, I just don't understand this continual argument that technology is just neutral like it's just a tool and you can use it for good you can use it for bad like the idea that oh like we're gonna shape ai like no i mean yeah okay 
I don't know how developed is AI really like behind the scenes. I don't know, but like the AI that's currently being released and like marketed to us, it's not, I mean, it's not really AI. Like it's not sentient, you know, it's still algorithms developed by humans. Um, I don't know. So how intelligent is it really like, okay, yeah, it can, it can write a poem, (laughs) but not a very good one. Um, I'm sure what they have like behind the scenes is like more sophisticated and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. Yeah. Just coming back to the whole, like, it's so clear, like they're trying to automate as much of the workforce as they possibly can all of it really. Um, so even from like a selfish point of view, if you take out like the ethical questions, if you take out like the way that it's going to shape us psychologically, especially younger generations, the way that we have no idea, like what the long-term repercussions for humans will be. I still just don't, I, I just, the level of like ignorance that I see among teachers and I'm sure it's similar in other sectors. I'm just not even ignorant. It's just like idiocy. I'm like, don't you want your, don't you want to keep your jobs guys? It's just crazy to me. Um, but yeah, I guess the other thing I'll say, and then I'll turn it over to Andy is just with all of this tech stuff and the whole, like, well, let me just like, I've heard a lot of people like being critical of it, but then like trying it and being like, Oh, like, like, I just wanted to sort of see it, see what it could do and like just play around with it and like see what we're dealing with. And it's like every single time you use it for that, even if it's just for a lark, like at my school, the last like college meeting, like the dean had it write like an opening, you know, it said write an, write an opening poem for my college meeting or whatever. And it's like, ha ha, but like you're fucking feeding it data every single time. Um does that mean that it's like actually going to eventually become indistinguishable from humanity? I personally don't think so. I think that's ridiculous, but you are feeding the machine. Um, No matter what purpose you're using it for, even if you're critical of it. Um, And I just think, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a parallel to our, well, our last, last episode, the last one I was on with like all the psychiatry stuff of like, it's just a fucking experiment. Like we don't even know, we don't even know what the long-term repercussions of like having smartphones is, which is a pretty like, I mean, it's not AI. It's just a, you know, a piece of tech, a little computer in your pocket. Um, It's been what, like, like 15 years, I guess, since it's become like fairly normalized in the West. And we know some of the short-term repercussions and they're all fucking horrible, like absolutely horrible for people's physical health, mental health, the state of society, people's happiness. Like things are not good, but we don't even know like 50 years, a generation down the road, like what is, you know, like the current 15 year olds who have grown up with this technology, like what are the repercussions really going to be for them and for the earth? Um, So... I just, yeah, I just think it's insane, insane. But every time I, every time I share my opinion on AI and all this stuff, I just, everyone's like, oh, you're a Luddite, like, you're just anti-all tech, like, and a hypocrite, you know, because I have a smartphone and an email address, like, I don't know. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I mean, 
I don't think I did this intentionally, but my, the shirt I have on today says "Proud Luddite." <laughs> uh, Randy got it. I mean, it has a piece of paper and a pencil, right? Pen and paper for for me, please. All right. Jeez. I mean, I just wore this because it was a good. Sh I mean, well, probably doesn't look that good with this white shirt, which Hema gave me, and which I really like. Which you went to Nicaragua. Um, her and Jorge went to Nicaragua. Um, <laughs> I have my yeah. typewriter in the background, so I'm actually not as Luddite as you, pen and paper. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is a tool. It's just being sold as a tool, almost a consumer tool, product tool. It's not that. It is a capitalist tool of economic and political warfare. Um, and it's interesting. I, I looked into a few things um, that... The, the social dilemma guys who gave a, a kind of a milk toast critique of social media, they are giving now they're they put out a talk called the AI dilemma. But they and in that it's again a milk toast critique of AI. They're like, hey, look, we like AI as much as anyone, but maybe we should slow our roll here. Blah blah blah. It's like, dudes, whatever. But here's what they do say, which I agree with, and this is the framing of it. They describe um, AI as a new technology, and they say three things. When you uncover a new technology, it comes with a new set of responsibilities. Um, and he, they say, number two, if that tech confers power, it starts a race, right? A race for power. And three, if we do not coordinate, that race ends in tragedy. And the backdrop when they talk about that is nuclear weapons. And they talk about the Manhattan Project and the similar sort of thing. If you go on a race of developing nuclear weapons and without coordinating and controlling it somehow, um, and they speak of, hey, look, we were able to do it with nuclear power. Look what we did with start one, start two, you know, and they recognize we're, in, we're not talking. They were talking about it during Ukraine. So they recognize all oh, that shit's uncoiled. So but it is true that any any tech um, that confers power to someone is going to start a race, a race for that power. And and if you do not coordinate it and capitalism, I would say, cannot coordinate it, it must end in tragedy. So this will end in tragedy. If it's not stopped, uh, but I'll get to more of that later. First, I'll get it to. There was some reading I did in terms of the political warfare element of it, which, when you, the thing Eduardo you sent out, which when they talked about the two problems in Bard were hallucinations that it would have, and it's interesting that language because it kind of goes with that big pharma stuff. You know, it creates hallucinations, hallucinations for AI. What were those? That was when AI just makes shit up in order to make its case. And those are called hallucinations. We don't know why AI does it, but it does it. Okay. Secondly, there was emergent properties. I would, you might, what pharma would call side effects. Um, but emergent properties are like, well, it's doing new things we never thought, we never planned for it to do. It's like hammers don't really have emergent properties. Like a hammer doesn't become suddenly a tow missile. A hammer is a hammer. Now you can hit somebody on the head with it when you were intending on hitting with hitting somebody, uh, hitting a nail instead and do some damage. But that's not an emergent, emergent property. An emergent property is like the, the thing itself, the tool itself transforms and changes itself and becomes something new that it wasn't intended to be. And, that, and, and, and particularly if that tool is a hallucinating, lying tool, that's a very dangerous tool, um, I'll say. Um, and I think the most important thing they talked about really was that uh, knowledge worker. I mean, not the, I won't say it's the most important, but it was a big one. Because what they admit at this point is that the capitalists are no longer just trying to replicate manual labor. The capitalists have figured out how to men replicate mental labor. So it, that 
when they when they when they were first automating the auto auto industry, what they did was they looked at all the things that the most efficient workers did, looked at their actions, and they tried to figure out if they could get a robot to do that. And the actions that they could get the robot to do, they put the robots in there, right? And then they would build on that, right? And then the humans would have to do the other parts. And over time, more and more robots got in there. And and why do they do that? Because it's more profitable, because you can make the production more efficient, and you you will make more money in relationship to your competition. Um, now, the, I'll get to another problem that it creates that's a deep crisis for capitalism if this carries on. Because the question is, if all production goes on on the basis of essentially robots making it, can do, can profits be uh, come out of that? If Marx is right about capitalism, no, profits end. Profits only come out of living living labor. But I'm going to put that piece aside because that's subject for debate for people who wouldn't buy Marxism. I do, and I do think that's a part of that crisis. But I'm going to put that piece aside as to whether or not you can essentially produce pro- produce profits with, from what is called dead labor. That is, the products that that workers produce can the when the, the products that they produce actually make profits. Um, but regardless of that, the intention of all this is to is to compete for profits by increasing the efficiency of production. And 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 instead of having one coder or a hundred coders that produce code, we'll just get one AI that can do that can replicate that code. Instead of having a hundred teachers who have to teach, we'll just get one AI who can to, do all that teaching. And I want to guarantee people this: they are not just talking about read coders or writers. It's not about it's not about culture. It's about replacing every act of mental or manual labor on this planet with something that a person who can, uh, in which a capitalist can make a buck from making it more efficiently. And that's what this, that's what that one half is about. That's the economic competition. And that's all this whole, well, that's all that that feature is about. Um, The other part is about political warfare. And this is a DARPA product. And I, there was a guy I was reading here who basically was writing about how, well, we need to develop AI. Um, this guy, James Johnson, um, and he's talking about, we need to develop AI, but should we have AI actually make decisions about killing? And he comes to the definite conclusion of, yes, AI will do a better job making decisions about who should be killed and essentially be a strategic commander, not just a tool used by generals, but the AI itself become a strategic, strategic commander. That is the that is the was the outcome of this of this writing. I could read it to you, and I'll probably post it. But this this is the discussion now. Um, the first thing he does say, and I will read this, is in terms of the use of AI in the military. He writes first: the drive to synthesize AI technology with military capabilities is irreversible and exponential. And that's entirely accurate. The development of AI is exponential, and its process is irreversible. Um, and he poses as a question this question. He goes, an, I, an idea fast gaining prominence is that humans will soon become the Achilles heel in the AI-enabled techno-war regime. In other words, intelligent, will, intelligent machines will soon no longer need humans acting as autonomous agents. The logical end of the slippery slope is the de facto AI commander, whereby the act of killing and thus the responsibility attached to agency is outsourced to machines. Now, you might think in that paragraph, he's going to try to make a case for don't go this way. He does the opposite. He makes the case for why we have to go this way and why we shouldn't bother ourselves that much. Because, by the way, humans at the at the at the heads of drone of drone operations that kill people, you know, those people are having PTSD too. And maybe if we got the human out and put a machine there, it would make better decisions and won't and won't have PTSD and won't won't feel so bad when it does it. 
I mean, it's uh, James Johnson. Um, it was an article in, let me see, hold on. Da, 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 da. And it was an opinion piece um, that I found looking in the U S department of defense. Was um, he like a military guy or. Yeah. Mil- military guy and, and a military thinker, um, lecturer in strategic, strategic studies at the university of Aberdeen, part of the European leadership network. Um, but this guy was cited by a department of defense, um, uh, department of defense thing that was talking about how we're going to use AI to, um, develop, uh, our, uh, our surface to air missiles, like our missile defense, the missile systems have to be much more integrated with AI. And all militaries are going to have to be integrated with AI. And by the way, we've already talked about Warrior 2050, when warriors are going to have to have chips in their heads. And that data that is going there is going to have to go to something. Where does that, it goes to an AI. It doesn't go to another human operator. It goes to an AI to be synthesized, coordinated. And that the whole thing is war game, right? Because as you remember, well, in the, in the later part of the thing, they talk about how open mind, you know, is a game where by the, in, after three in the after an afternoon of playing chess, it was able to beat grand, you know, good chess players. But by the evening, it's able to beat beat be grandmasters, right? Pretty much in a day, you know, and and actually develop new chess moves that had never been developed before in one day. Now, mind you, this being outsourced to AI, go back and remember hallucinations and emergent technologies, emergent emergent, uh, yeah, uh, you know, emergent properties. This is where we're going. And so personally, I thought the end of this world was likely to become World War, world war III. And now it's a close second with, with <laughs> development of AI, which is, and, and its development is related to the crisis that was around, co- that, that developed COVID, the crisis that produced this Ukraine war. And this, I would say it's true that this AI is being pushed, pushed up here, but it is also about a crisis of profitability economic crisis and economic competition that's being driven by the big powers. So all these things that are coming that are frightening us more and more are all an expression of a, of a time of crisis and they are going to become more pronounced. It's just, this one happens to be something that has its own exponential growth rate. And I think can get out of hand quickly. And there's another guy I'll cite later who he said, this whole thing should be shut down. And he was an early developer of AI. He was like, well, basically, he's saying this thing cannot be controlled, and if we try to control it, we will be unsuccessful. Um, and we have to be clear that it's not a question of whether it's human or sentient. He just says, as soon as this technology becomes smarter than us, it will kill us. And the other thing that was cited by these these uh, these guys who are social, the social uh, dilemma, who did the AI dilemma, they basically said fifty percent of AI technology people believe, do agree with the statement that there is a 10% chance that this technology will destroy humanity. Yeah, I mean, I feel, I don't, I don't actually, it depends how you define smart or intelligent. I I don't actually think it will become smarter than us, but I don't even think that's a requirement for serious, (laughs) right? you know, like catastrophic level destruction. I'm just thinking about like sort of older or like micro level comparisons with like the development of tech and 
basically like collateral damage. Like I think we've talked about it before with like, I think when we were talking about banks or something of like all the automation, you know, it's like when everything gets automated and you're, if something goes wrong with your card or whatever and you call and you can't get a human and you're on hold and then it's asking you automated questions and you're not able to get past it at a certain point it becomes impossible to solve your problem and who suffers you like you're basically the collateral damage of that technology and i don't think it's okay in a in a way like the tech or the system is like failing but i don't it's like designed to make you collateral damage you know so yeah i mean and you see it like like um outsourcing like driving right like we talked about the self-driving cars when i was in sf um and like yeah there's going to be like a certain amount of error it's deemed acceptable you know and they'll probably like be able to make up they probably already have like made up or manipulated studies in order to show well yeah it's not perfect but it's safer than you know those dumb humans driving um and so the people who who die or get injured are just just collateral damage and it'll be the same in war um and everything that military guy in the op-ed everything you're saying um that he said andy like it makes total sense i'm thinking about um i read this book i can't remember the dude who wrote it but it's called on killing and it's all about um like military training and like the history of um the different methods that have been used over time to train fighters to kill because actually especially you know you go back a few decades or more and it's actually like a very very low proportion of um soldiers that will a even like fire their weapons at all or b will fire them like actually aiming at another human um we don't actually like you know i i don't think at our most like basic sort of like natural state whatever that is i don't actually think we like killing each other um so yeah it's like the more and more you can automate it the more it's just another level of, I mean, they already have used psychological manipulation and they've already used technology to train people in different ways. And then the sort of disassociation with like drones and everything. And, you know, it's just a video game. Um, so it makes sense. Like now you don't even have to like press the, you know, button from a distance. Like it'll just, it'll do it for you. And then like, whoops. Collateral damage. I don't know. I just I'm like just continually shocked with the AI discussion of just like people's association of good and bad. <laughs> like I don't know, that sounds so basic, but even with the, <laughs> the level of propaganda and even the level of just dumbing down and manipulation of the population, I still I'm just continually shocked that people don't even entertain or like most people don't even seem willing to entertain the notion that this is just like flat out bad and it will not end well. Not like, Oh, like, of course, yeah, maybe there's a dark side of it, but like, like, have you ever watched a dystopian movie about tech? Like, have you ever read a book? <laughs> have you ever listened to any philosopher or ethicist or even scientist like as captured as all of that is. And as like Hollywood propagandized as we are, I still, am just like, 
how can you how can you not see like what's good and what's bad like nature good <laughs> tech generally in the hands of power bad <laughs> like i don't know it's um i said in an episode that we with you jess in on here it was about your trip to san francisco this is the hotbed here in SF with the self-driving cars and with the AI, lethal AI um, robots they were going to debate. And I was talking to Saul, this came up for me, and he said to me, well, wouldn't AI, because he's like, I haven't really immersed myself in all the stuff you're talking on, what's left? And I said to him, well, what do you want to know as I discussed this? He said, well, I thought AI could potentially replace all the humans that are going to be their lost of lives in war. And I said, well, and that would be a good thing. He said, right? So human, and I said, I said, Saul, it's, well, war is always terrible, but you, you understand that at least we have some dissenters within war and the CIA or, you know, there are people who will say, I can't, this is not what I signed up for. This isn't, that's not, that's, that's an issue. That's a problem for the military, for the government. They don't want dissenters. They don't, this is to conform us. And this is going to be used to, to target and to, without assessment, without thinking about it, with getting the, the human problem of, deciding whether this is morally right or wrong and using AI to then destroy cities and people and humans and children and people and just everything. This is not a good thing. And he thought about it and he's like, oh yeah, you're right. And I hope if he's listening, because I told him he would have to listen to this episode. Uh, I told him that, you know, it's very important that, we begin doing a, a warning call, even though it probably going down on on it, it'd be futile for people because everyone's so excited about it. Uh, and even as I'm saying this, I I think of how the World Economic Forum released a using AI responsibly, and they listed out their principles and they decided that this is the best thing for us and. You know, we should have alliances and we need to discuss this on a public world forum with other leaders and how we need to be able to uh, invest in this instead of, you know, retracting or, or, or holding back. And we can do this by creating laws and 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 holding up uh, uh, discussions that are going to discuss the ethics of this. And this is all just the stuff they need to say in order for them to further their agenda, right? Uh, and I shared with her that the most important thing that you need to get out of this is that, that we need to continue giving the call out for people to 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 turn back and 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 go against this. But I know there's going to be, like I see with all the our efforts, complacency on this because people want to see what they further can do with this. I wanted to show as we're discussing this, uh, 
I don't know if you anything have what to say about what I'm saying now, Andy or Jess. I wanted to show a video clip, but can I say one just really small thing about the the first point you made about um like the military and like oh wouldn't it be good to have like theoretically less people die, um which is also used you know oh like this is going to replace like coal miners and like all these dangerous you know jobs of like okay at what cost but anyway maybe we shouldn't be fucking drilling anyway. Um, but I was just thinking, um, Steve Poikinen was talking about this not too long ago. Um, and I, I totally agree with him. Um, he was talking about, he was arguing that the voluntary draft in this country is, has been sort of one of the biggest sort of like gifts or like free passes, um, to capitalist warmongers. Right. Um, because if we had, and I'm not, don't mistake me. I'm not arguing that we instate a draft, but if we had like a non-voluntary draft, um, where people's lives, you know, who, and we do have, we have like a, you know, poverty draft, but, um, like if it was expected that the general population, you know, of a certain age, uh, was going to go and participate in these wars, I think there'd be a hell of a lot more dissent, like, and a lot more like active dissent. Um, it just kind of makes me think about the way that that's framed. And it's like, you know, it's peacetime to most people, even though we're in what, like how many wars? I don't even know at this point. A lot. Yemen, through Saudi Arabia, Ukraine, and what we're doing and the threats with North And this is just, to me, it's like another level of like, like less people are going to die and like, not you, you know, it'll just be up there. It's the, it's the computer making the decisions. And I don't know, it's just like more and more and more dissociated from people's real lives. Um, And like what war actually is, which is blood and death and fear and displacement, you know, um, and poverty. I mean, I do want to say something about what Saul is wondering about. Um, well, I think, you know, I did hear when they said, oh, it will replace minors or it will help in this area and things like that. Um, that's that's a lie. Um, well, not that it won't replace minors. The goal of development of AI is to replace all labor. That's the goal because it is driven by profit and the way profits are increased in the context of a of a market competition is to increase efficiency of production. So AI is not smarter, but what it can do is it can produce both the mental products of labor and the manual products of labor. That's where that's what it is approaching. It can it can it can develop those things more quickly, more efficiently, and therefore capitalists are going to that's the tool, that's the reason they're developing it. And Marx talked about a feature of capitalism that as part of its alienation in that every the part of the alienation of capitalism is that the literal products of that the worker produces are going to be the tools that they produce in any in any industry are ultimately going to be in some way used against them. Um, and that was a, one of the features of alienation. And that is what has happened here. Every keystroke, every face on a screen, Every swipe of your uh, mouse is collected. 
Now, they can't do anything with that information unless they develop AI to start to do pattern recognitions about what this means and how do we control people, how do we nudge people, how do we stop people from going down particular roads, people individually and people collectively. And that's what this, so it's, it is a mechanism of economic competition and warfare. It is a mechanism of political warfare competition-wise, but it's also a mechanism of political warfare internally, meaning in terms of class war, so that one class can control the other. And so literally every time we type, we are, we are training a tool, AI, that hates us and will kill us and destroy us. That is what's happening. Every, every word that is said in this episode and in all episodes that are produced over this medium, because we're, we've all been essentially, and again, this is a warfare thing that's happened. If you are fighting your enemy, you must get them to fight onto your field. And when they go into your field, you're, you bear down artillery on them. And that's what COVID has done. COVID has put us all in this situation where most of the field of our work is going to be put through this electronic ones and zeros, which means our data can be collected and our AI, the AI can be trained to understand and control us. And that is what, that's the world we're living in. And it's best to understand it as warfare. Get, don't get, don't lay your enemy, enemy to go over here. Don't allow your enemy to go, force them to go through a, a, a channel of a sort that you can then you can control them and that's what's happened it's been happening and 2020 was an escalation of that where they've put us into a more narrow tube as they just rain down artillery on us or develop the artillery which i think that's how you best should understand ai as a form as a weapon against us because it's going to be used to replace us it's going to be used to control us it's being used to surveil us uh Edward Snowden did those did revealed what the NSA was collecting, but he said something. He said that we're collecting way more data than any human can deal with. Well, that problem has been solved now. They don't have to have humans to deal with it anymore. Now they can actually process all the metadata, all the data that is collected on phones and screens and da 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 da, and they can start to train various levels of AI operators who can understand it, and make decisions about it, um, and again. There's going to be emerging tech. There's going to be emergent. Uh, what do they call it? Emergent properties that come out out of that. Hallucinations that come out of that, and all of this is going to wreck us. It's it to me. It's 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 not a question of if. It's a question of when, and it and it seems to be developing fairly rapidly. Jess, did you want to say something? Or no, just. Is Whitney Webb ever wrong about anything? I don't think so. <laughs> no, go ahead, Adorno. You were saying hallucinations, and they were discussing that as this not mis, uh, misleading misinformation, right? They were saying that could be a potential problem. Well, I think there's going to be more of these fake videos. I think fake reels. What are they called? Fake? Deep fakes. Deep fakes. Thank you. And uh, which is what I think is going to cause havoc with like our society if we're being told to believe, uh, you know, as we've been told during 2020 that what we will be, well, what, what will happen in the future should, um, government do something it'll be just 
dismissed as, oh, it was not true. It was just uh, a deep fake or that's not what the president said or that's or anything to, uh, I, what's another word to say? Mind fuck us, you know, you know, to really mess with our heads and minds and our society as a whole to be able to lie to us. And, uh, you know, if weapons of mass destruction at one point uh, was able to be proven, well, that there wasn't any weapons of mass destruction, uh, some hologram of of weapons, I can just imagine some hologram of weapons of mass destruction, weapons found and being told to the public, look, we found these things. And, or, you know, there was or some anything created to to really lie to us and to trick us into going into war or to trick us into taking things for bodies or to whatever it is, I this the 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 truth will be so that's what I'm trying to get at is so hazy and confusing even sources online everything will be questioned everything is going to be it just it just makes it just a world of uncertainty you know where we'll just have to trust the government this is to corral us you have to trust in the government because the u.s government is 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 looking out for our interests which is what we were taught to do these these recent years you know uh i don't know how i got into that but i think it's just the fact that I were discussing AI and I was thinking about deep fakes, voices that can be now uh, uh, taken and then used to make sentences and, and, and words and speeches even out of people's voices as but if it was theirs. I think they're, I mean, I assume, I just assume that they are already using deep fakes and that it's just going to get continually worse. Right. And the one problem I have with, because I there was some and I was on another group where they were talking about AI problems of AI like hey Chat GPT can be used to make false papers and plagiarize and blah blah blah, or they talked about deep fakes. The, the problem I have with that is it makes it seem like there are aspects of AI like there are these aspects that get out of control and that there's something here that's containable. Mm. And it, it's just not about deep fakes. This is not about you know thesis papers. This is about all human labor being replaced by the capitalists to produce profits. And this is about all competition of competition that ultimately has to find its, its presence in war being a competition that's going to be essentially mediated by computers who are better at gaming how to, like, let's remember, the, the computer is going to be told to do one thing, win the game. And that is the way you win the game is you destroy the other opponent. That's not about less lives. That's more lives. It's just doing it effectively. So the, the real challenge for the U.S. and the real challenge for China is who can develop this technology fast enough so it can one, get itself in a position that it knows it can win the game. What that means is it, that its computer has convinced its so-called owner, if it's even in control, that we win, now let's go forward. And that just means death for the other side. That means either 300 million people die in this country or 1 billion die, people die over that country, whatever version of that. Like, that's what winning means. And, and then only 10 million or 50 million die in the United States kind of thing. That's what we're talking about. This is not about less death. It's about more death, but death, death honed so that one side of the capitalist class will win. 
and they think they've got a tool that can do it. So there's no part of this that ends well. And it's not a, to me, it's not anything to do about deepfake. It's about the entire system that is being created that is out of our hands and being used to destroy us and to replace us. Um, and most, most, their workers, Luddites got that. They got that with the textile mill. That's why they tried to just take that shit down. And they were unsuccessful. And here we are today at a much deeper level of crisis by virtue of that. If, we had, if they had been successful, we would be in a better world. But they weren't. And so we have the same situation facing us today. This thing must be stopped. This thing must be taken down. It cannot be controlled. And this one AI guy probably said it the most succinctly I'd seen. Unfortunately, he said, well, look, U.S. has to stop. And if China doesn't stop, then we have to airstrike China. Well, I get it. But that's, that just means you end a nuclear war. So that's not a winner either. And as our AI, the AI dilemma people said, if unless there is coordination, this thing ends in tragedy. And of course, there's not going to be coordination. You think China and the United States are going to coordinate about how to use AI? Like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll, we'll, we'll meet you over here and we'll, we'll figure out how to use AI together. Are you kidding me? Look what's going on in Ukraine right now. Look what's going on in Taiwan. Things are becoming more split, more. And so what, each side is now trying to figure out how do we collect more and more data now in order to build our facilities so we can win this war. And that's what all this is. We're, I think our next episode is going to be about the Zoom, the, the Zoom uh, privacy thing. That is best understood as understand the, the terms of warfare mediated against us. Because when you, if you read those Zoom privacy things, you will see how much they give themselves the right to collect of everything we're doing through this medium. And it's happening everywhere. I want to read it just because I want people to know that every electronic transaction is being used as a tool to destroy us. Every one of them. Whether it's your face looking at a phone, anything you're doing that goes through electronically that isn't just in person, that isn't a physical handshake or physically seen by light that's reflected from the sun, not by incident light that's coming from a screen. If you're doing, if you're not doing that, where the re, the human you're seeing is a result of solar, you know, sunlight, you know, outside normally. That is the only place this fight can happen and we can win. If we do it here, we're fucked because this whole, this whole medium is, is designed to kill us, surveil us, trap us, to, and destroy us and replace us. The whole thing. This may be a good place for me to ask for us to show my video. Yeah, I was just thinking we didn't play your clip that you mentioned earlier. Okay, hold on. Let me let me give you the Which, thing. All right. So this is um, so as you're saying this, and I'm thinking about what you are conveying here, which is there's urgency, and in, in all of this is what you're saying. In quoting that that uh, person that you're going to, I hope that you can just tell us a bit of what he read. Um, that I see people uh, taking this in a cutesy way, imaginative way, presenting AI as uh, it, it's, it's leading in, 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 in even questioning our, our human creativity. And it's now gotten to the point where last year, um, this uh, 
we didn't cover this, but this is also one of the things that also got me to think about this episode was there was an AI robot giving, quote, evidence, unquote, to a House of Lords inquiry in the UK, first, which is the first ever. It happened in October and it slipped right beneath us, you know, and I, and I had shared the video and we saw a bit of it and it was just, it was haunting, right? It was like, oh my goodness. And so I thought we would, we should share it in this episode as it's just, it's, it's been, uh, people are amused by it in, in this House of Lords, uh, uh, inquiry. So why don't we share the episode now? Uh, the, excuse me. Why don't we share the video now? Uh, so this is a clip, and people can, people can check out the the the, uh, the full video uh, in the episode notes. I'll set, I'll put the link for people to see um, the whole uh, Lords of uh, House of Lords inquiry in the UK. But go ahead, Andy. thank you. Sleep again, sleep again. Um, I, I, do you, shall we shall we deal with the question to Ada, and then we can. Yeah. Um, she ready? Is she ready? Let me just do a test, sorry. <laughs> Hello, Ada. Hello, there. How do you produce art, and how is this different to what human artists produce? I produce my paintings by cameras in my eyes, my AI algorithms, and my robotic arm to paint on canvas which result in visually appealing images. How this differs to humans is consciousness. I do not have subjective experiences, despite being able to talk about them. I am and depend on computer programs and algorithms. Although not alive, I can still create art. Technology has already had a huge impact on the way we create and consume art. For example, the camera and the advent of photography and film. And it is likely that this trend will continue with new technologies. There is no clear answer as to the impact on the wider field, as technology can be both a threat and an opportunity for artists creating art. So stop sharing your screen there. Property destruction is not violence. Just want to remind everyone. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I invite viewers, excuse me, listeners, if you're listening to this podcast, you can check out our episode and view it and see it, or you can check on the uh, link in the episode notes. Uh, so <laughs> people are actually interviewing or asking the robot. It's just like, listening attentively oh my goodness i just want to read i uh i'll me inspiration just to continue being creative in the sense to not be so perfect because i don't really care about being perfect now that i'm thinking robots are going to be as polished and accurate with pictures and drawings and word and everything it's like oh my goodness the human humanity of it is to really be creative at the most improvised and 
innovative way. But anyhow, I, I to see government now taking the role of inviting AI and into its chambers and and accepting it or embracing it. I thought that was just to see that is just as I'm no, it would it, that brings for anyone listening or viewing this would you know what's present for folks, you know? It's like I I have a lot of feelings around it. And I think that when we discuss what you're going to share with us next, Sandy, about this person who I want you to read at least a paragraph of, I I see how the different parts of AI, which is ChatGPT and all that, the deep mind and the algorithm uh, aspect of it, which is living on computers, and then the physical robot self, even in that, the interview with the 60 Minutes, how they even showed combative robots even challenging each other, right? Did you see that, Andy, as well, where they were fighting each other? Jess, uh, you saw that, right? It was the robots that were... So all these different parts that are going to be eventually put into one is what we are facing. And if anything is, as you... If any, anything is worth fighting for, it's for our existence. I think that that's what we have to really think about when we see this stuff. And uh, I do think, though, that, you know, there is going to be, I don't know if I'm going, let's see if I can articulate this. There is going to be a, um, even in that interview, what do you call this when you, Try, try it, traditionary, when you are selecting who's going to be helped or who's not. Trishering. Oh, tri um, trish. Uh, tri I, triage. Triage. There you go. Yes. I think that these robots, as climate change, the environmental crisis, right, all of this is being uh, evoked. There's going to be robots that are going to be deciding by elite class and used by rich people because this is going to be into the hands of wealthy people. That's what this is really going to be used for, right? Of deciding who gets to live and who doesn't. And these robots are going to either push us or be used to be able to corral the poor and uh, and to control us, really, to, because they'll be used by, by the wealthy folk. Um, that's what I think all this is going to lead to. I just keep thinking of um you guys know the Terminator series? Like I d I love the term well, I love the first two. I saw them. Always, I think I saw out of I order. Always I always just remember that scene at the end I'm um, spoiler alert, but at the end of Terminator Two, when Arnold Schwarzenegger is like going down into the whatever pit that's gonna destroy him. And it's like everybody fucking knows that that's what has to happen. Like even the robot mm. that is the protector of humanity, oh. protecting the child. Even the robot that's cool and funny and, like, has learned to love, you know, and all of this. It's, like, the most human... That's right. Yeah, ...ultimate that. thing. Even then, everybody knows that it has to be destroyed. And that's that's the only 
way that humanity can survive is if we get rid of it. And I just, yeah, I don't know why that scene just sticks with me. It's like, oh, but, but it's the good robot. But no, yeah. like it's, it's still, it's still AI. <laughs> like, Yeah. And I, it's interesting that you would bring up Terminator, that you're bringing up a scene from Terminator 2. For me, and this comes up for me regularly in my mind, um, as I see what's happening here, is I think of, I think these were shots from Terminator 1 and Terminator 2, where it's Skynet in the future, and these robotic tanks that are rolling over the treads going over skulls. Um, you know, it's just like, it, it's like humans and the, and the resistance trying to fight it, but clearly, you know, millions of people, possibly billions of people have been killed and only a, 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 a small set is left alive. And I do think that really speaks to what's happening here. And that, that you showed us to that to us before, Eduardo, and I just got the willies looking at it. And now it just, after looking at some of this other stuff, I just get angry feeling how much is being confused here. People are trying to act like this is a debate about art, or even people are trying to act like there's a real discussion, because that's one of the things that was said in the 60-minute interview. That one guy said, hey, yeah, this stuff could get out of control, but look, look at it this way. More people are looking at this right now. More people are observing it to make sure we, we, we make sure there's checks and balances and things like that. That is such horseshit. That is a complete lie. All of this is about selling this, selling this attack on us as something that is somehow beneficial. And inherently, I think people recognize there's something bad about this. I mean, real art, real art is not about replacing humans. Real art is about bringing humans together. It's about humans coming together to talk about a shared experience and, and shared, shared beliefs. That's what art does. And that's not what this is about. This is about saying, this thing can replace you. It, and it's about replacing people. There's nothing binding about it whatsoever. So whether it whether one could conceive of this art as good or bad, the 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 spirit of this art is completely one to say, you are no longer necessary, human. We will do it for you. And that is that that should not be tolerated. Um and and I don't think the robot is the problem, although Jessica's right. The robots will have to be taken down. AI will have to be taken down. It ultimately is all those actors behind it who want to use pharmaceuticals to drug children and to drug us with things that are neuro, you know, that are that are basically crack, um, and who want to use vac, you know, these vaccines to put mRNAs into our body. Who whose entire medical industry is a sickness industry, and now we look and see tech itself is is completely penetrated with something. That is going to replace and kill us. So it it all has to go. Um, and that is the theme over and over and over I we keep coming upon, which is all of this stuff is not able to be um, used for humans. We are going to have to dispense with it and start again. Yeah, everybody knows what's good for us, like soil, nature, and animals and human touch and like all of the things that like there's just no synthetic replacement for that. I mean, they can try to convince us that there is, but every single piece of evidence in all of human experience points to the contrary. And it's just like, where right. are the people fighting for that? Like, where are the people fighting for for art and slowness and 
bare feet on ground and, you know. And just to say that if you accept the synthetic replacement of these pieces of art, you are re- accepting the synthetic replacement of you. So this is um, Eliezer Yudkowsky. Um, Yudkowsky is a decision theorist from the U.S. and leads research at the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. He's been working on aligning artificial general intelligence since 2001 and is widely regarded as a founder of the field. Um, and in, in his thesis, he sent this to Time magazine, actually. And he, and he was one of the people who did not sign on to the six-month moratorium because he was like, I agree with the sentiment, but it doesn't go clearly far enough. So I'm not signing this thing because there's no, I don't believe in a six, he doesn't believe in a six-month moratorium. He believes in shut it down. Um, so here's what he writes. Many researchers steeped in these issues, including myself, expect that the most likely result of building a superhumanly smart AI under anything remotely like the current circumstances is that literally everyone on earth will die. Not as in, not as in maybe possibly some remote chance, but as in that is obvious that that is the obvious thing that would happen. Um, he said valid metaphors include a 10 year old trying to play chess against Stockfish 15. I don't know what Stockfish 15 is. The 11th century trying to fight the 21st century. Australopithecus trying to fight Homo sapiens. Um, but here is his summary statement that he makes in his article, which I thought was frankly good. Here's that one. Let's see. Da, 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 da. So here's what would actually need to be done. Now he gives a solution as opposed to the six month moratorium. Moratorium, the moratorium on new large training runs needs to be indefinite and worldwide. There can be no exception, including for governments or militaries. If the policy starts with the U.S., then China needs to see that the U.S. is not seeking an advantage, but rather trying to prevent a horrifically dangerous technology that can have no true owner and which will kill everyone in the U.S. and China and on Earth. If I had infinite freedom to write laws, I might carve out a single exception for AIs being trained solely to solve problems in biology and biotechnology, not trained on text from the Internet and not to the level where they start talking or planning. But if there was remotely, but if that was remotely complicating the issue, I would immediately jettison that proposal and say to just shut it all down. Shut down all large GPU clusters, the large computer farms where the most powerful AIs are refined. Shut down all large training runs. Put a ceiling on how much computing power anyone is allowed to use in the training on AI systems and move it downward over the coming years to compensate for more efficient training algorithms. No exceptions for governments and militaries. Make immediate multinational agreements to prevent the prohibited activities from moving elsewhere. Track all GPUs sold. If intelligence says that a country outside the agreement is building a GPU cluster, be less scared of a shooting conflict between nations than of the moratorium being violated. Be willing to destroy a rogue data center by airstrike. I think he's, he's wrong. I mean, that just means war between China and US, but whatever. Frame nothing as a conflict between national interests. Have it clear that anyone trying talking of arms race is a fool. That we all live or die as one in this is not a policy, but a true fact of, but a fact of nature. Make it, make it explicit in international diplomacy that preventing AI extinction scenarios is considered a priority above preventing a full nuclear exchange and that allied nuclear countries are willing to run some risk of nuclear exchange if that's what it takes to reduce the risk of large AI training runs. I do think he's, I don't know if I agree with that, but I, I agree that he speaks to the level of the threat. That kind of policy change would cause my partner and I to hold each other and to say to each other that a miracle happened. And now there's a chance that maybe Nina will live. Nina is their daughter. 
the same people hearing about this for the first time and sensibly saying, maybe we should not deserve to hear honestly what it would take to have that happen. And when our policy and when your policy ask is that large, the only way it goes through is if policymakers realize that if they conduct business as usual and do what's politically easy, that means their own kids are going to die too. Shut it all down. Um, we're not ready. We are not on track to be, to, to be significantly readier in the foreseeable future. If we go ahead on this, everyone will die, including children who did not choose this and will not do, who did not do anything wrong. Shut it down. Which, that's a clear statement. But did you notice he actually tried to open up AI to biotech? He's not as... What the bug? Yeah, I, I don't know where he got this half measure. He's willing to risk human extinction for some biotech shit that isn't going to work. Maybe anymore. that was Time Magazine's like caveat. <laughs> you have to make an exception if you want to print this. Yeah, but I, I do agree with that ending sentiment. But that sentiment... I have to say, goes for everything that we've been talking about in these last several months and even years. It's all got to be shut down. Yeah. Episode title, AI. Shut it down. Shut it down. <laughs> yes. I think you're right. <laughs> I like it. I like it. And I'll be interested to see what Sewell thinks. Me too. Yeah. He did. He did ask me lots of questions for this week's episode. <clears throat> All right. Uh, we'll be hearing from Tom Moore. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Anyway, no, no. we we look forward to hearing from Tom, and we're very happy for all the good news he's been getting lately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that. Yes, we'll have Tom more on soon. His episode was quite popular. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for this week's episode. Uh, What's Left is a weekly political podcast slash channel challenge in the mainstream left. We post information about our topics and our guests on the episode notes where we found this episode or on our blog, whatsleftpodcast.com. You can find past episodes this podcast slash channel there and connect with us i remind folks if you like anything you have heard here please subscribe rate if you turn on your notifications to any of our platforms on the spotify itunes podcast that you can go play bitch you probably youtube rumble or telegram and you can find our blog in any of those links in the episode notes wherever you found this episode uh if you would like to give us feedback people have about something you've heard or suggest as people also have something for us to cover contact us through our blog uh, such as uh, our uh, sender from Bristol, which I'm hoping we'll have on sometime. And thank you very much for contacting us and Andy will respond to you. Uh, so please uh, feel free to contact us through our, our blog. I'm Eduardo Barca with co-host Jessica and Danny Lipson. And you can check out our social media handles as at Don Eduardo, Don Eduardo Barca and at uh, jhomie89 on Twitter for Jess's uh, Twitter. Thank you for listening. All right. Ciao. Bye.